Good morning. It's great to see y'all this morning. It's great to be back in uh, the pulpit, back preaching. And uh, we are starting this morning really in earnest our new sermon series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians called One. Uh, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Uh, There's one salvation in Christ. There is one people of God, one church. Um, And I'm really excited about uh, these next weeks and months as we dive into this letter, particularly this morning as we begin considering uh, the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. We're actually going to have three sermons on these 14 verses. This morning we're going to focus on uh, verses 3 through 6 in particular, but uh, if you were to read Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14, the idea in the Greek, in the original language, the idea is that you would be exhausted at the end of it. It's just this kind of like fire hose of, of gospel truth that Paul seems to just like get out of him as fast as he possibly can. And then he kind of cleans it up a little bit later, you know, as he goes through the book and, and um, he, he, he focuses on different aspects of it. It's just this breathless kind of glorious, um, you know, gospel saturation. And I'm excited to be able to uh, consider that with you this morning. So uh, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verses 3 through verses 14, or you can read along um, on the screens. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. Um, It is such a reminder to us when we, as we so often do, forget who we are in Christ. I do pray that this morning you would remind us, but not only uh, in a way that we forget it again, but that you would make an indelible uh, mark on us that we know that we belong to you through faith in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. When I was a student at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, a visiting pastor came 
to town to preach in chapel one day, and he told a story that I, I'll never forget. I, I was pretty shocked by the whole story when he told it, but I think that at the end of the day, it's probably more common than any of us would really want to believe to be true. He and his wife were about 40 years old, and they had been unable to have children, which is a very painful, painful um, event in anybody's life. But they had been fostering a 12-year-old girl who had been in many foster homes before they arrived at, she arrived at their house. But they had decided that they wanted to adopt her as their daughter. Now, this girl had been in a lot of foster homes. She'd been through the system for a long time. She was pretty cynical about any prospects of what it meant for her to have a real family or for her to have a permanent home anywhere. But to her surprise, the pastor and his wife approached her and asked her if she would like to be a part of their family, not as a foster child for a longer time, but as a daughter, an adopted daughter. She said yes, that she would, but they could tell, and she really felt that, you know, she was kind of holding back a little bit. She was a little wary. She was a little skeptical about what this would mean. One day when this girl was off at school, uh, the pastor's wife went into her room to tidy it up a little bit. She was 12, you know, she wasn't particularly clean, and she was going to change the sheets on her bed, which was a twin bed that was pushed against the wall. And so when she pulled the bed out from the wall to take the old sheets off to change them, a whole bunch of stuff fell onto the floor. And investigating this, this woman found a bunch of food, um, scraps of food that were wrapped up in little wrappers or little treats that she had taken, things that she had taken from school and brought home and saved. And it became clear that at some point in this 12-year-old girl's life, she had realized that at any point, the food could run out. That at any point, she may have to fend for herself. That food was no guarantee, no matter what it was that the people that she lived with were saying to her. And so just in case, she was storing her own between her bed and the wall. Even though the adoption was in progress, even though this man and his wife had stated that they wanted her to be their daughter, even though they were taking all of the necessary steps for that to happen, she was still living as an orphan. It's understandable because she had been living that way for so long. And she isn't the only one. I think this happens a lot, frankly, uh, in, in our world in, in that tangible kind of way. But even in our spiritual lives, we who profess to be children of God through faith in Jesus Christ very often live as orphans as well. We live as orphans because we allow the loud, cacophonous, and chaotic voices that are shouting at us and surround us in all places and at all times through sheer persistence to overtake us. And we begin to believe some of the things that they tell us. We begin to believe that if we don't give those voices the best of our time and the best of our attention, that we'll be lost. And so we forget the riches that we have in Christ. We forget the blessings that belong to us in Christ. And we begin, like this girl, figuratively speaking, to store some scraps of food in our room 
Some things that we think that if Christ holds out on us, if Jesus holds out on us, we'll have something to turn to, whether it be material or political or just things that we fantasize about, that we think if we just have that one thing, if that one thing would just come true, then everything would be okay, right? And so we confess that we have a Father in heaven who loves us, but very often we live our lives as if we're orphans. This is exactly why Ephesians chapter 1 exists. It's what it's here for. And while we're only going to look at three of these verses in detail this morning, verses 3 through 6, these 11 verses are all a breathless, non-punctuated, Holy Spirit-inspired tour de force of gospel riches. It's beautiful. And it begins with this claim. In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. Now, that word is there on purpose. All blessings, every spiritual blessing. Paul does not say you have a couple, you have one or two. He doesn't even say, hey, you have a lot of blessings in Jesus. He says, in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. They are all yours in Jesus So what we're going to look at this morning are just two of those blessings. We'll look at some more in the coming weeks. And the blessings that we're going to look at this morning are those of election and adoption. But first, I want us to kind of ask the question, what does Paul mean here when he talks about spiritual blessings? What what are spiritual blessings? I think Paul means two things here. First, he is distinguishing spiritual blessings from material blessings. And don't get me wrong, because he's not denigrating material blessings. The Bible is very clear. The clothes we wear, the food we eat, um, the the houses that we live in, uh, the cars that we drive, the bank accounts that we have, all of those things come from God. All of those things come from God. So he's not separating, he's not telling us to live our lives as like a Greek philosopher where he's saying material things are bad and spiritual things are good. Just leave all those material things over there and focus only on the spiritual. But what he is saying is that these blessings are blessings that will never be taken away. These are the blessings that will never rot. These are the blessings that will uh, attend us into eternity. So our houses and our cars and our clothes, you know, they're all going to fade away. But the blessings that we have in Christ, all of them will last with us into eternity. That's the first thing he means. Second, and this is important, Paul hints here in verse 3 what he spells out in more detail in the following verses. That these blessings are spiritual because they are both derived from and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the, if you talk to a friend or a neighbor who has some intellectual doubts about Christianity, one of the objections that they may make to you in a conversation is that they may say, hey, this whole doctrine of the Trinity, you know, one God and three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, y'all just made that up, right? It's not in the Bible. The word Trinity is never in the Bible. Somebody just made that up. Well, the truth of the matter is that the word Trinity is not, in fact, in the Bible. But the teaching of the Trinity is all over the place in the Bible. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And it's in Ephesians 1, verse 3, in its seed form. Blessed be the God and Father... Of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A nugget of that teaching in one verse. So that's what I think Paul means by spiritual blessings, but what are they? Well, let's look at two of them. The first is election. The second one is adoption. The first spiritual blessing that is yours in Christ is the blessing of election. And you may be saying right now, okay, Paul, why don't you enter into some controversial territory right off the bat? You know, why don't you use the word predestination twice in these verses? I mean, you know, let us get warmed up a little bit. But that's not what he does. Verse 4, he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, one of the challenges of studying Ephesians is that every single word has a richness to it that you can't, you can spend a lifetime trying to comprehend. But let's unpack this just a little bit. First, God the Father chose us. Now, remember from two weeks ago that Paul is writing this letter to professing believers in the town of Ephesus, and he is answering two fundamental questions. First, who are you in Christ at a core level? Who are you at the core of your being? And second, how do you live your life out of who you actually are? And his answer to the first question is that in Christ, you belong irrevocably to God. If you're a Christian, you belong irrevocably to God. A relationship that cannot be severed. Why? Because he chose you. Grammatically, the word translated as chose is what is known in Greek as an aorist tense. It's a definitive and completed event in the past. In other words, what Paul is saying here is this happened definitively. Sometime past, God the Father chose his people. But when? He goes on to say, God the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now think about the wonder of this for just a minute. Before you were born, before you were, even the world was created, God put you together with his son. God put you together with Jesus. Not just in a vacuum, not just hypothetically, and not only as a part of a larger group. Although he does talk a lot about the church in Ephesians. But you individually God put together with Jesus there's absolutely nothing about you that is a mistake or accidental there is nothing about your relationship with Jesus that is haphazard or random or merely sociological God the Father put you together with his son before time itself existed he has loved you that long. Now, of course, there is a lot to say about the biblical teaching of election, more than you can say here, and tons of ink has been spilled appropriately on this topic for centuries. Uh, but I want to give one practical way that Paul's words here can be an encouragement to you. Just one. There are more, but just one. If you're a parent... Or even if you're not a parent, if you're a grandmother or you're a grandfather or you're an aunt or you're an uncle or you're a friend to people that have children that you love, this is a teaching that you can and probably almost certainly will need to lean on 
at some point in your life and in your parenting. Every child is on a journey. Every child is on his or her unique journey in the world. And one thing we know about journeys is that they've got bumps in in the road. There are missed exits. There are potholes. There are flat tires. Sometimes people on journeys just get lost like in the middle of the night. Don't know where they are, right? Most of our children, figuratively speaking, at some point in their journey are going to get lost in the middle of the night. They're going to get lost in the middle of the night. They're going to question everything that you have taught them from the earliest age. They are going to make stupid, stupid decisions. They are. They are going to go through seasons of intellectual doubt. They're going to go through seasons of emotional turmoil. They will probably go through seasons of being dismissive of the faith of their youth. Maybe because they are extremely frustrated with a disconnect between Christians in the world. Maybe even in their own family how they live and what they confess to be true. And they just don't want any part of it. And as a parent or someone who loves children... You should not be caught off guard when your children wander through the woods with blinders in the middle of the night. Because for many of them, it is part and parcel of taking the faith of the family that they grew up with, trying it on for size, experimenting with it, and developing who it is that they are as an individual human with dignity as a follower of Jesus. But let me tell you something. It's painful. It, oh my goodness, it is just a brutal beatdown as a parent to see your children struggle with their faith. It's horrible. And your choices are to get angry and to push back at them and try to keep them like, try to get the fences as tight as you possibly can. You're not going to, I'm going to, you can't wander from these fences. They're going to make them super tight, you know. Or you can despair and just sort of lose, you know, every sense of, of hope that you could possibly have. Or you could deny it and act like it's not happening. Well, I, th- I think a lot of parents in this situation do is you begin to hate yourself. And you begin to dissect your own parenting and you begin to think, when they were four and I said this, I should have said that, you know? If I could just take that back when they were six, everything would be different, right? Or, or you can lean in with trust that God has not brought the story to its completion and its end. I can tell you story after story of children questioning faith and wandering in the wilderness from middle school to high school to college to early adulthood who God directed back to himself. And then you have to ask the question, boy, that looked impossible. How did that happen? And the answer is, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When someone that you love is on a painful journey, There are no more beautiful words than these. That's the first spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. Election. The second is adoption. 
Adoption is what ties our election, God's choosing of us, to our present status as sons and daughters of God. Adoption by God is what allows you to walk with confidence know in this world, knowing that nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Adoption is what allows you, and this is important a lot, adoption is what allows you to get out of yourself, to stop worrying with every clothing decision that you make. To stop worrying about every conversation after every conversation you have or every business interaction. Frankly, for a lot of people, I know that this is true, every time you walk into a church, to stop wondering and to stop fretting, what are people thinking about me? How am I projecting myself? How am I presenting myself right now? As my friend Scott Sauls writes in one of his books, the love of God, which is indelibly sealed by adoption, when internalized and felt, frees us from any need to be noticed, to make a name for ourselves, to find significance through achievement or advancement. To be loved by God And to know that you are loved by God because he chose you to enter his family as a son or a daughter, not just a a stranger. To know that is what sets you free to love another person. To, To be loved by God and to know that you are loved by God because he chose you to enter his family as his son or his daughter is what frees you to love another person. You can't really, truly love another person when all you are thinking about is what that person is thinking of you. You can only really love another person when you accept and own the fact that God has brought you into his family and adopted you as a son or daughter and will not let you go. So it doesn't matter what they think of you. You're free. You're free to love. You can get out of yourself. You can truly be you in all of your dignity and all of your glory as a human without the weight of constant introspection and self-loathing. Does that sound freeing to you? It sounds super freeing to me. And that's what the good news of the adoption into God's family in Christ does. It sets you free. And Paul presents it here as a certainty Because he knows where the story ends. When Shannon and I were dating, she confessed to me on one of our uh, dates, one of our first dates, that growing up, she was a lover of horror movies. She loved scary movies. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I hate scary movies. I hate them. I don't like them at all. They get lodged in my brain. I can't sleep. I think about them for two days. Not a fan. But I was in full bore impress the girl mode at this point. I was like, horror movies, yeah. Come on, let's watch some, you know. So we go to Blockbuster and she chooses one of her favorites. I am not even going to tell you what it was. My, my beautiful, kind, sweet, gentle wife, you say, she likes a movie this scary? No way. But we watched it. We watched it in my apartment with my roommates and some friends. And as we were watching this movie, all of us in the room were watching it like this, you know, with our hands covering our face through our fingers. It was awful. Just gonna, it was so scary. But you know what? Shannon was light as a feather, man. She was making cookies. She was pouring, 
you know, some, some water and getting Cokes. And she was just kind of, she was, we were all, she was completely unperturbed by this. And we were all seriously perturbed. Seriously. But she was just free. Why? She knew how the story was going to end. She knew the end of the story. And so she was not stressed as we were in the middle of the story. Do you know where Paul is when he's writing these words? Paul's in jail. Paul's in jail in Rome when he's writing these words. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. But why does he write with such breathless confidence and wonder in Ephesians 1? Why does he write with encouragement to other people rather than with despair about his own circumstances? It's because the arc of this narrative, which we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks, is life forever in the new heavens and the new earth that is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. The blessings of election and adoption are what holds you fast in this world when you are journeying through the real trials and struggles of this world. You are held fast in those things because the end of the story is sure. It is eternal life with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. You know what's interesting? I've always, I always have to remind myself about this. Paul, who is an apostle, do you know what Paul is not? He's not a superhero. He's not. You know what Paul is? Paul is a sinner saved by grace, just like you, just like me. He confesses that in his writings all the time. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom you are the worst. That's not actually what he says. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's Paul's self-conception. He's not a superhero, but he's writing with certainty and encouragement and joy, even in the struggles of this present life because they are lived in light of the future. And that means that the emotional turmoil that is caused by the disruption of relationships over the past year is not the end of the story. It means that the driving fear and kind of low-level dread that may have settled over many of us in our kind of cultural moment that we're living in right now, that is not the end of the story. It means that missed reunions or missed anniversaries or altered holidays or canceled travel or disrupted sports season or disrupted school years or long-term economic uncertainty, even disease and death, none of those are the end of the story. The end of the story is that you have been chosen before the foundation of the world, adopted by God into his family in Christ and will dwell with him forever. So our response to that is simple. It forms the bookends of this passage, in fact, in verse 3 and in verse 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins, and then he ends with, to the praise of his glorious grace. It's worship. It's worship. Worship now, even in what we're doing, gathered together one day in seven. It's worship with our lives, fixing our eyes on Jesus and not deviating based upon fear or stress or the burdens of events that are outside of our control. It is worship. 
because all that he has done is worthy of our worship. With respect to the pastor and his wife who were planning to adopt this 12-year-old girl, they did adopt her. And after they all three went to the courthouse to finalize the adoption, they came back to their house, uh, unlocked the door, went into the entryway, and this pastor stopped and he spread out his arms and he said, all that I have now belongs to you. And he didn't just stop there. They actually went through every single room in the house. They walked into every room in the house, opened the door, entered, and said, everything that is in this room now belongs to you. All that we have is yours. They took this tour room by room by room. Do you know where this tour ended? What the, what the, the climax of this house tour was? This tour ended in the kitchen. In the kitchen, this man opened the doors of the refrigerator, he opened the freezer, he opened the doors to the walk-in pantry, he spread his arms out wide, he said, everything in there belongs to you. All that we have is yours. You will never go hungry in this house. You will never go hungry in this house. That's what Paul's saying to you. All that belongs to Christ belongs to you. All of it. Every spiritual blessing. You're chosen. You're adopted into his family. The end of the story is certain and sure. It will not be moved. So you can rest. You can truly rest in that good news. Let's pray. Blessed be you, God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Oh, that we would remember that. Oh, that we would live like that. Impress that upon us, Lord Jesus, our Father and Holy Spirit, by your grace, in your name. Amen.